0: So, so I opened the magazine. I always read that religiously every month, and um, and I, I picked it up. and In the very back, there was um, win an electric guitar, uh, and I was just like, "This is meant to be."
1: I'm Mike Hipple, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book where I look at influential music- musicians from the 90s and where they are today. On this podcast, we'll dig deeper into a pivotal moment in the life of one of the artists I feature in the book. Today, we've got a great story from Ben Lee, who got his start in music when he was just a young teenager with his first band, Noise Addict. He went on to record as a solo artist who's always looking forward, trying to expand his musical horizons. <laughs>
0: actually when I was about um ten years old, I wanted to start a band and it was really because of all these kind of like uh you know hard rock and metal bands and stuff and it was sort of like a uh, I was playing piano at the time it was like I promised my grandmother um, that I'd do piano for two years it was like a weird like uh, Jewish um, immigrant type thing like sort of carrying on the culture in some way and um and uh so, so so i was learning piano um but I, you know i really wanted to have a band and um it, it all felt kind of unreachable um and then this one guy i know uh, this one guy i knew josh um josh Zolden Pers- uh, josh zoldan at the time he became josh persky his uh his older brother had a drum kit um, so I, I I thought oh yeah he, he could be the drummer but but before that even he had an electric guitar and he was really into this guitar player called Tommy Emanuel who was um, like a flashy like he's actually a really good guitar player but he was sort of at the time like a bit like the Australian version of Joe Satriani um, or something like that or Steve Vai you know those types of guitar players that like are very flashy and everything so so i went down there and i saw his guitar and um and he had an electric like like a cheap stratocaster or a squire probably a fender squire so it was like an entry level strat type thing which is like pretty common like if you were into like stevie ray Vaughan and stuff that was pretty big at that time for guitar players like you wanted to get a stratocaster um but but when i i saw it i felt so um I felt so sort of jealous. I remember feeling so jealous that he had a guitar, but I'd never wanted to play guitar before. So I thought it was more just like jealousy of the object. Um, And I I, I forget about it. And I remember I went home that day and um, I got Smash Hits magazine, which uh, in Australia and in England, it was a bit like, I I wonder what that was like the equivalent in America, like maybe like Teen Beat or something, but, but, but actually about pop stars, like not just about like, cute bands smash hits was sort of famously the band where um both the guys in the pet shop boys were reviewers in england and they started the band the pet shop boys because they were so they reviewed all these singles they looked at each other one day said we can do better than this and they wrote West End girls together and formed a band um so it was sort of like it, it actually was a magazine it was like a teen pop magazine but it took uh it took pop music seriously which was you know pretty cool that's sort of more from the british model of like taking the chart seriously and all of that and um and so they uh so so i opened the magazine i always read that religiously every month and um and i i picked it up and in the very back there was um win an electric guitar uh and i was just like this is meant to be because you know i i I was felt such intense jealousy earlier today of of my friend's guitar, and um, and now I'm seeing I could actually win one, and this would like totally solve this problem for me. Um, so I was like, this this could also solve a problem because it's almost like I needed an exit strategy from the piano. You know what I mean? Like like I, that was like a family commitment, but it's almost like when you um, <laughs> it's like a it's like when you tell your parents you're, you're going to be a collage artist and they say, what's the fallback plan? Like, you've got to think these things through strategically, you know, how to deal with the fallout of these decisions. And the piano was kind of like a big deal to my grandma and stuff. So, um, so I was like, Oh, this will be it. I'll, I'll win this guitar. And then it'll be a very seamless strategy. It's almost like leaving a relationship when you like go, okay, I just get, you'll get the next thing in place. So you can, like someone who's cheating, you know, <laughs> so you can like seamlessly transition and um, and I entered this um, smash hits. It was just like a raffle, basically. It was there was no there was no skill element to the competition. I just uh, you just entered sent in a you know an envelope, um, and I, I waited, and I, I was sure I was going to win this guitar. Like I I, kept, I fantasized about how it would be delivered, and I wondered if it would already be tuned because I knew yet to tune it. Or if I'd have to take it somewhere and I thought about how it would just be such a fun day when I showed up at home and just this box was there. Or would I get a call first and would they alert me that I was a winner and that would be a very exciting moment, you know. And um, and, and it didn't come. And I, I kept waiting. It didn't come. And it built up over the course of a few months. And then I, uh, and then I, I said to myself, you know, I think I want to play the guitar. Like it took this massive... um sequence of events that were so absurd it was almost easier for me to project externally that I was going to win a guitar in a total fantasy than it was to simply admit that I wanted to play the guitar but that's what it took for me to admit it and I found that that lesson has um come through over and over again in my life that I'm pretty dense sometimes about realising what I actually want or or not about realising it but about admitting it. And I have to sometimes create an incredibly elaborate scenario in my life in order to simply express a desire that it could have been done with sort of much more grace and dignity were I just to simply like man up and like own what I wanted. Um, and so so anyway so so I started playing guitar and then that guy who had the guitar his older brother had drums and a year later than that uh, I saw Nirvana play and I was like oh this is what bands are it's just like three friends standing on a stage like it's simple and in that time I could sort of admit by that point like this is what I wanted to do so I got (laughs) but i got josh i still was very like machiavellian in a sense i got josh to be the drummer because i knew his older brother had drums i was like okay that solves that problem um so 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 you know it's just it's it's just weird how much like it's almost like scheming how much scheming and dreaming is involved in like the simple manifestation of like learning to play the guitar starting a band um seemingly simple things that become much more complex because there there's a kind of almost risk of maybe like societal disapproval or um, family disapproval or something so but in the end i think art always wins it it fights its way into your life if you are the kind of person who's going to end up making art it's like you it's kind of that you can run but you can't hide from it
1: Thanks, Ben, for that. We shot his portrait for the book when he was here in Seattle on tour, and it may have been one of the quickest photo shoots I've ever done. We found the location, it was just perfect, and five minutes later, we had the shot. I don't think I've ever had anything come together as quickly as that. But moving on, let's hear what Ben is into these days.
0: There's a web series by the documentary filmmaker Carve Zahedi and it's called The Show About the Show and he's actually just coming up to doing the third season. He's kind of financing it through Kickstarter Um, but it's a fascinating concept. I mean, he's an amazing filmmaker that's very um, honest and very self, just uh, like very transparent in his process. Um, All his films are about him and about his process essentially but um, this this show is called The Show About the Show, and every episode is about the making of the episode before it. So it becomes this highly meta examination of the process of creation. And it's really incredible because, like, he'll have an event will happen in one episode, and then the next one he'll have different actors Um portraying the scenes in which behind the scenes were going on with the uh, with the process and i just think it's like in some ways you know it's funny because most of the people i know who like Carve's work are artists and i think in some ways he's so passionate about the process that um it's most suited for people that have this kind of like fascination with creativity and how it works and how much how honest we should be and how you know so anyway I highly recommend it and that's um actually going to lead to my second um, recommendation which is also something to do with Carve. it's a podcast he's been doing this whole year called 365 stories I want to tell you before we both die And every day he puts out an episode and they're generally between two and five minutes long. And he just tells a story of something that happens to him, uh, has happened to him in his life. And they're incredible from things like meeting gurus to being in a sex scene in his friend's film to Umberto Eco coming to lecture at his college to meeting his wife, to visiting Dylan Thomas's grave, to going on a Tibetan Buddhist retreat, to issues with his kids. Like, Like he just goes all over the place and it's just an incredible podcast something that's been deeply inspiring me in the last uh year or two is um there's an artist from melbourne called georgia mack who she plays in a band called camp cope um, that's sort of like a punk band but then she also has a more poppy dancey kind of side project um and she's also a nurse and throughout the whole pandemic she's been covid testing and vaccinating people and she's just kind of like to me because you know the generation I'm from it's like there were so many rules about being a musician in a sense and I see someone like Georgia as being it's almost like the way that streaming has changed the entire nature of being a fan it's also changed the entire nature of being a musician it's like before we had to have this tribal loyalty to one style of music. I think musicians had to do that and people had to build their careers that way. And now people build their lives and their careers in this dynamic way that is almost like building a playlist where they do a bit of this and they do a bit of that. And, and they, they put it together in some way that's just uniquely them and has never been expressed before. And Georgia, is someone that both through her music and through her politics and through her life the way she's building her life i've been just really really inspired yeah i guess my my one of mine would be developing a more mature and kind of adult relationship to mind-altering substances um in some ways i think that they're sort of like you know it's kind of like wasted on the young in a certain sense in that in, being in a, in order to grasp the proper uses of some of these things, like psychedelics and even like weed and alcohol and stuff, they almost require. Um, like I made a joke on Twitter the other day. I said, like, psych, uh, drugs should be outlawed for anyone that doesn't have children or a mortgage, um, and not just in a way of like, oh, they need escapism and relief, but more that like the gravity of what these tools can do and the harm they can do only becomes i think apparent for most people as you get older so i think for me one of the things that you know i always loved psychedelics and i think as a kid or just as a younger person i used to try and justify it using a lot of different frameworks like i did like ayahuasca in a peruvian shaman's circle and it all felt very like you know religious so people get into microdosing or this or that where they sort of like they take on these um, institutional frameworks um, in order to justify their interest in something. Um, It's like people wanting to go to like tantric classes in order to get laid, you know, like, um, like they go, let me find somewhere where it's socially acceptable to get involved in whatever I want to do. And I think for me, like one of the things I've sort of realized as I've gotten older is like, wow, if I really boil it down to like the essence of my attraction to psychedelics, they're really fun. Like I find the experience really fun. And that's something that's taken me a long time to own up to. My last thing that has been like a big, I guess, awakening, like the last couple of years, is finding my own relationship to political activism. Yeah, because my dad was in local politics and like both my parents were pretty politically active. Um, it was one of the things that I almost viewed has like an element of like their generation's hypocrisy or something that they were politically active without being emotionally intelligent. Um, And that most of the people I knew who were like politically active, their family lives were a little bit in chaos. And it just seemed kind of like, what's the point of like, looking out for how other people are keeping their, you know, like strategies for making other people happy when your own home lives were like in disrepair somewhat. Um, But as I've gotten older, I felt it more as like a sense of duty as a citizen of, uh, you know, as one of the members of a species, as a citizen of a planet that it's very important to be part of, at whatever level you participate in, to be part of an ongoing you know, m- conversation that's been going on for thousands of years about what our values are and that the way those values evolve in our society is through dialogue, argument, debate, but we have to display, we have to let it be known what our values are even as they change because part of the way we each identify our feelings is by hearing other people talk and seeing what resonates with us and what doesn't and if you don't stand up and be vocal about what your beliefs are you kind of deny others the chance to to formulate their own opinions through hearing kind of a multitude of um like shades a variety around certain issues so so you know like in 2020 it became i just couldn't not be involved with getting trump out and i particularly i remember when the um just went the, the response to the black lives matter protests were really deeply troubling to me and it was it's funny. I, I lived through so many other travesties of in Trump's administration, but that hit in a way that I was like, "I, I I'm just putting every ounce of energy into getting this guy out of office <laughs> for the next." You know, I just, uh, I just went for it. I felt really, still looking back. Look, I understand that like capitalism is sort of inherently broken, and that the Democratic Party is, you know, equally susceptible to the influence of certain forces, you know, corporate forces and everything. Um, but nonetheless, it was like a bus going off the edge of a cliff and we just had to radically try and turn that thing before it went flying off. And, and you know, I was proud to be part of that and it's been interesting being in Australia um, where there was, a, when there was a really, um, it's been an interesting time because there was a, it was a really idyllic place for the first half of the pandemic. Um, but then, when Delta came, it went. You know, it was just it, it out. The virus outsmarted the strategies that the government were using to keep it at bay for the original. You know, the original um, incarnation of it. So, I've been getting more involved in just encouraging people to get vaccinated and to be not even to be to to blind like not to blindly accept, but to realize that like. In this moment, the the best bet we have from my perspective is trusting scientists. Am I saying that science is never influenced by money or that it never makes mistakes? Of course not. But in terms of who, who should be making major decisions about public health initiatives at the moment, I, I really do believe in leaving that to science. And so in a sense that <clears throat> in a sense that shouldn't even be a political a type of political activism, but being vocal about that in this day and age is political. And it's another time where I've felt that it's useful to just throw your weight, whatever weight you have, throw it behind what you care about um, to further that conversation.
1: That's it for today's episode. Please be sure to also check out my book, Live Through That, available everywhere now. You can find out more about what Ben is up to, as well as many other artists. Check out my website at www.hipphoto.com for a list of retailers, or just ask at your favorite local bookstore. That's hipphoto, h i p p h o t o.com. And if you like this show, please go subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help. We'll be taking a break next week for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we'll we'll return the following Tuesday with more episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football